Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Hello and a very warm welcome to a special edition of Jazz Shapers. We're in front of a live audience at the London offices of Mishkondorea. Jazz Shapers is a programme where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And right alongside them every Saturday, I'm very lucky because I bring someone who's shaping the world of business onto the programme as well. I'm really pleased to say that my business shaper today is none other than the artist, the sculptor, the fashion designer, the fashion icon that is Nicole Fahi. She's going, yes. Oh, that's good. Fantastic. She's going to be joining me very shortly. We'll also have live music for this special edition of Jazz Shapers to play the first of several songs for us tonight. Would you please welcome to the stage the one and only all the way from America, it's Judy Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Judy Jackson. Thank you so much. Judy Jackson there with a brilliant and very personal interpretation of the um, absolutely iconic Sitting on the Dock of the Bay from Otis Redding. Much more coming up from Judy and her band, and we'll be introducing them to you shortly. As I said earlier, my business shaper at this very special Jazz Shapers Live is Nicole Fahi. She's a fashion icon. She's known to many of you. Many of you will be wearing her this evening or have worn her in the past, literally and metaphorically, whichever way you take it. Please put your hands together and join me in a warm welcome for the one and only Nicole Fahi. So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, For those of you that don't know, uh, Nicole was born in Nice, brought up in a French-speaking house, but also the language of Ladino, which we'll come on to in a moment. Um, I believe you spent much of World War II in hiding with your family. Uh, No, I was not born. I mean, after, excuse me. After. (laughs) I believe that World War I happened in uh, the early... I thought your family spent some time yeah, in hiding. Yeah, my, my family not you. was hiding, yes. but not, not at all. Not you. No. <laughs> That's okay. Good. This just sets how, how um, inappropriate I am with my date. So your family, Nicole, spent much time in World War II in hiding. Um, exactly. You came along many years after the war. A few years. A few years later. after the war. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood. I've, I've read a lot about your relationship with your mum and your aunties. Just tell me a little bit about that family. Well, it was a a Turkish Jewish family, so very, very close to one another. And uh, we, um, it was a wonderful uh, upbringing because uh, a lot of our family were living in uh, Nice, in the south of France, after the war. And uh, I have wonderful memories of... uh, Sundays en famille, we were maybe 25, 30 of us going out, uh, one car following the other to a a little restaurant on a hill above Nice and uh, cousins were playing. So I was, I have a a great, great uh, uh, warmth for large families and um, I've been able to do this many years later. 
I had only had one kid, but uh, my husband has three. We have seven grandchildren. We have now this enormous family again, which uh, re resemble, uh, we, which uh, comes together at Chris, uh, in the summer. And, um, and it's great to be able to give them what I had, that warmth and uh, togetherness. And I'm going to come back to the warmth and togetherness in a bit, but I want to talk about fashion, obviously, to start okay. with. Tell me about... Um... <laughs> I like talking about my, my family because... Uh, the... <laughs> you can see who's in charge here. It's very strange. It? You can talk about but whatever my family, you like. My family, my aunts and my, uh, uh, the women in my family, the Turkish women, were very, very uh, chic and they loved clothes and... Uh, uh, they were always fighting who had the best couturier and who had the best outfit. And uh, so I was uh, brought up by those women. I mean, they were next to me, always looking wonderful. And uh, perhaps that uh, helped me wanting to be a fashion designer. Although I didn't really want to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be an artist, a painter, but uh, I fell into fashion uh, very, very quickly when I was 20. I found it very easy at the time to sell sketches and uh, get into f the fashion world. I understood how it worked. And, um, and I became a fashion designer. And my question around the fashion was, about your, was going to be about your family and that, and that influence. But you talk about your art and obviously through your life, expressing yourself has been important, whether that's through sketching, whether that's through the creation of clothes, whether that's now through sculpture. And, and um, around us now are some fantastic sculptures, which we'll come on to uh, in a bit as well. But do you, you said you, you fell into fashion. What do you think you would have done if it hadn't have been fashion? I mean, I know you said you want to be an artist, but at the same time, you obviously wanted to make a living. Yeah. So um, when I, I went to Paris when I was 18 and uh, I went to art school and fashion school at the same time, I did like fashion. And one of my aunts would take me to see uh, the collections, the couture collections in the summer. She uh, would take me to Yves Saint Laurent and Balenciaga. And uh, so I thought that was... I like the idea of you do something and six months later you do something else. I thought uh, that's quite interesting to... You never get bored with what you're doing because you're always on the move to something else. And um, in, when, you, when I went to fashion school, I learned how to present my work as a designer the first year. I, got, I understood that. Where at art school, um, if, you know, to be an artist will take years and years if ever you, you come out as an artist. So uh, after a year and a half, I was already selling sketches and um, got into different companies, uh, worked for them, until I met uh, somebody called Stephen Marx, who started French Connection with me. So that, that was, was back in 1972. Yeah. Mm. And you said you understood it. You said you used that phrase, I understood fashion. I understood what? how to present myself and how to present the work I was doing. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, really. You know, I was doing what I felt was right. And um, I didn't have a preconceived idea about fashion. I just, uh, I liked drawing. And I thought it was exciting to, uh, and to draw different things, not only uh, clothes, but socks, belts, bags, anything. I want to come back also uh, after some more music to the 
the bit leading up to the 70s, you met Stephen in 72 and French Connection became French Connection. And um, there's a period in time in obviously late 60s in Paris when a certain revolution was happening. And I yeah, think... Yeah, that it, was uh, great. That I, was, I was a student then. And that's, and that's exactly what I want to pick up on. But we're going to have, we're going to come back to you in okay. a moment. Stay with me. Don't go anywhere, Nicole. Um, she won't go anywhere, I promise. Um, but she will tell me what we're going to talk about, which is absolutely fine as well. Um, it's time for some more music. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Judy Jackson and the band are back. And I believe the name of the next track is With You.
was Judy Jackson with With You. Much more coming up from Judy, but I'm going to go back to my business shaper today. That's Nicole Fahey. And we're talking about all things family, um, influences, and um, immediately a very strong personality, Nicole. I mean, it's clear. I've read about you that you said, I never do anything I don't want to do. And in a, in a, you don't you say, if I stand for something, I really stand for it. And back in 68 in Paris, there was something to be stood for. I did, I did. And, I, and I, I'll just read you a quote that I, I believe you said. You said, I became a feminist then, and I think we did change things. I wanted to be free. You think for yourself. You do not push your beliefs down people's throats. It, what was it like then, growing up in that time? Because we're in similar times, 50 years later, we find ourselves. And yet, what's changed? Well, I thought we changed something. And then when I read the papers and I see all the uh, the the harassment about women again today, I just wonder what we changed, you know, and um, it's, I find it very upsetting, actually, very, very upsetting. I mean, you've been a, 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 you've been a businesswoman, you're now, you're now an artist. I'm not a businesswoman, I've never been. Or a woman in business, rather, and a, and a, and a creative person. I just, I just want to make it straight, because <laughs> Stephen Marks was the businessman. I was a creative behind yeah. the business. I never understood the balance sheet. And, uh, you know, he, he had to call me in his office to try and explain to me what uh, we were doing or, you know, how the business was going, because... It was not my, obviously I wanted what I was doing to sell, but I was not doing it for it to sell. I was doing it because I love doing it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a complete mistake to think that I am, I am a business businesswoman, which I told you when you invited me. Do not say I'm a businesswoman. I am not. <laughs> I think, I think you should really say what you think. I mean, I, I, I say, I think you should just, just come to the point. But in, in the sense that you, and I think that's right, I want to ask you about that relationship that you had with Stephen because you're still very close. Yes. You obviously have a daughter together. Yes. You, we, what, we're best friends. And what was it like being allowed that space for him it to just... It was an incredible chance to have met him, to uh, uh, work with him and uh, to get that freedom that very few designers get when they work in a company to be able to do what I wanted to do. And uh, he was uh, incredibly uh, generous with uh, his understanding of what I'm doing. Sometimes, obviously, we did fight a lot because I was strong-headed. I think you, you said that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I believed what I was doing was right. He would say, no, it's not, or it's one cell. And I said, well, let's prove it. And, uh, you know, so we had our arguments, but um, it was an incredible chance, which n not a lot of designers today uh, are able to, uh, to get. 
And then in 1982, you open your own, the eponymously named Fahi. He, he, again. He, again. Yeah. But you as the credit director and as the, and as the creative lead. Well, it, the company, the French Connection, became a public company then. And uh, I wanted to move on to do something more sophisticated, maybe. And uh, Stephen said, well, let's open your own company then. And um, he opened it. He started it. I mean, I designed. I was a creative designer. And... Um, And what is wonderful, if you are a designer, if you are an artist, is not to be bogged down by business, you know, by money. Mm. So, uh, so what drove then, you? Was it purely making the things you were making? Yeah. And Just... also, I love, I love manufacturing in India. I love going to India and China. And we were practically the first people to, uh, to go to these countries and to, um, to work with the the people there, the fabric that you could uh, make there, the, the dyeing that you could do. It was extremely uh, interesting and uh, wonderful learning uh, curve. And, and the creative process, and we're now looking, I'm looking at these, these sculptures, which I want to come on to. You talked about being free to create. You talk about not being a businesswoman. You talk about being a creative person, an artist, and that started very young. Just tell me a little bit about how you had the self-confidence or you were convinced that you could be a sculptress. Tell me that story about uh, well, when you I met your... I don't know um, if I was convinced I could be a sculptor, but I knew that fashion was not enough for me. And uh, 10 years after uh, French... So 82, 83, I went to evening classes. I met somebody who was a sculptor and I said to her, oh, this is... When she said she was a sculptor, I thought, ah, but that's what I want to be. That's what I want to be, to try and be. And she said, uh, I know a teacher who could teach you uh, because I was working, obviously. And, um, and I went and had uh, uh, evening classes and Saturday classes, and I started touching the clay. And um, one of these torso there is one of the first torso I did to... Um, This woman, my teacher, Jean Gibson, um, said, gave me a lump of clay. She said, I'm not taking just anybody. And she thought I was a bit flippant. I was a designer. And what do I want to try to be a sculptor? And, and so she gave me this clay and she said, well, do, do me a torso. And I did something similar to this one. And she said, uh, OK, I'll keep you on. <laughs> and uh, so obviously she, she must have seen something in it. And, um, and I, you know, I, from there on. But your reaction stopped. to that, if, if, uh, if I'm right, when you told me that story is that you, you left that class, you went into your car and you cried. Oh, yeah. yeah I told is you, that I told right? You, I told you it's very intimate oh. thing. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I go, everywhere I go, there are little Nicole Fahey mines, but that's okay. Stay with me for much more mining. Um, with Nicole Fahey. She will be talking to her in, in a bit. Um, this is Jazz Shapers Live. You're listening to me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM, and my fabulous guest, my outspoken and straightforward guest, Nicole Fahey. Let's have a moment to reflect on some real Jazz Shapers in 2018, someone who's been nominated twice at this year's Jazz FM Awards, and the winners are going to be announced next month. Uh, this one was nominated for the International Jazz Act of the Year, sponsored by Orison, for the Album of the Year with Dreams and Daggers. She's also going to be performing at the star-studded event. Here is Cecile McLaurin Savon. Why should a fella want a girl like her? A frail and fluffy beauty. 
This is Jazz Shapers Live, and we are still with this wonderful live audience here at Mishkondorez London offices. My guests this evening are Nicole Fahi and Judy Jackson, and Judy Jackson and band, and we'll be coming back to Judy in a moment. But um, Nicole, I, I want to talk about this this creativity that you then decided you felt comfortable exploring. It was one day a week at that point, no, or it less was, even. Uh, two nights a week and Saturdays. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I meant metaphorically. I meant you weren't doing it full time, but that's okay. Truth, you can say so what you like. I can invent. Yeah, you can yes, invent. if you want. You were doing it, it part time at that time. Um, did you think there would be a moment? Were you waiting for that moment when this would be a full time thing, or was it more of just this fitted into mm. your life and you were continuing on? I was hoping that one day I will be able to sculpt full time, but uh, then, it's a long time ago, I did not foresee that it will happen. You know, I didn't know when it will happen. And uh, it's only when uh, Stephen decided to sell uh, Nicole Fari that I could see my way out. And that was seven years ago. I had to stay two years in the business. And then I was free to sculpt every day. And I think at the time you sold, I think you you said again that you felt this when the, the the big company ethos was not for you in terms of people putting demands on you and the business. I hated, um, I hated the last two years in the company were the worst for me mm. because Stephen obviously was no longer there working on it, and uh, the people who bought the company were. Uh, businessmen had no idea about fashion and fashion is a very fragile things you know you, you have to have a feel for it because you never know in six months if uh, the collection is going to work or not and if you're still going to be in business and those people who the first people who bought the company sold my flagship uh, store in Bond Street immediately, closed restaurants, um, homeware that I was so proud of doing. And so I was so, so sad. And, um, and I had to wait two years to be able to get out. Since you've gone full time, since you've been doing this um, as part of your life, have you felt that freedom that you craved, do you think? I mean, as in you now have it all the time when you're oh, yeah. there in your studio. I, I just love, I'm very, very lucky uh, to be able to do it all the time. I just want to bring in Judy Jackson at this point, if Judy's around still. Are you there? Hello, Judy. So, Judy, what, what strikes me about creative people is that they all crave freedom and that when they perform, whether whether they're designing clothes or whether they're creating pieces from pieces of clay sculptures or whether they're writing songs or whether they're delivering it they're doing something they need to do they're almost compelled and what I've read about you is a similar thing that your art your singing is a way it's quite cathartic for you is that is that a fair point certainly very fair um I believe that freedom is key to being creative to fluidity to honesty within your art and your work, and if you're not honest with yourself, then your work cannot be as honest. Mm. So I love musical theater, for instance, and Stephen Sondheim um, has a great lyric that the choice may have been mistaken, the choosing was not. And I kind of try to remind myself of that every day as I go through life and making creative choices, personal choices that both interact, as it were, together, that you have to make a decision. So a part of freedom is responsibility enough to, 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 to be accountable for 
the choices that you are compelled, as you said, to make, to make you feel alive, um, I think it's very important. And behind the, 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 the entertainer, behind the person actually singing or the person uh, creating, I sense that there's also a very different private person. And you've, again, you've talked publicly about feelings that aren't you know, necessarily that you would think that go with the performer. How do you, and I think one of the lines from the songs which I, uh, I particularly liked was, um, you, well, there was a, I think it's in the Worth It um, track, you cannot plan the perfect journey. No, you can't. <laughs> no. I'm really enjoying myself. <laughs> I've been ambushed here. Um, Judy, we're going to come back to you in a moment. We're going right. to be. <laughs> I love the full stops. It's fabulous. No, you can't. You know, never, never ask a close-ended question. Um, Nicole, since you've... T tell me a little bit about um, that journey that you've been on uh, towards actually becoming a, um, a person that sculpts, that, 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 that that's what they do. Your, I believe one of your mentors was Eduardo Paolazzi. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about him uh, as a creative person and as your friend and as your mentor. Well, I was very lucky. The first bronze I cast it was at the Royal College uh, Foundry. And uh, the day I went to with my best piece of clay to, uh, to get the bronze, to get the cast. There was this man in the foundry and um, with a lot of students around him and it was Eduardo, well, I didn't know it was Eduardo, but the, the man running the foundry said to me, um, do you know who that man is? And I said, no, no, who is, who is he? And he said, it's Eduardo Paolozzi, the very famous sculptor. And he said, would you like to meet him? And I said, yes, of course. And uh, so he called Eduardo and um, Eduardo looked at the piece I was uh, doing and uh, he said, uh, and what is the name of this piece uh, you are uh, working on today? And I said, uh, well, it's called Orgasm. And he loved, he loved the title and he loved the piece. <laughs> and he said, will you come to my studio and I will show you my work? <laughs> So, uh, so I did, you know, <laughs> of course. And, um, and from there on, we became very, very close friends. Then he's <laughs> friend on me. And this is his hand that I sculpted. Um, uh, one. He had a wonderful, big, powerful hands. And uh, I did his portrait. <laughs> I know. It's, it's this true. is what happens. I mean, he's a sculptor. He was a sculptor. Yeah. And, and more, he, I mean, so many things. If you look at the collection, his bank of uh, work is extraordinary. Drawings, everything. Yeah. Uh, incredible to have met him when I was on the, you know, just starting sculpting because uh, he uh, opened my, my life and uh, as a sculptor, my eyes, my, uh, um, the trust in myself as well, because he introduced me to his friends. I was saying, this is Nicole, she's a sculptor. She, he never referred to me as a fashion designer. Or a businesswoman. <laughs> Certainly not no. that. <laughs> hold that. Hold that just so I want to come back to mentorship in, in a bit as well. Um, time for some more music. Judy, tell me about this next song, Blame It On My Youth. This song means quite a, quite a bit to me. I decided to entitle my most recent record after it, based on um, hearing it for the first time. I was in Harlem 
was uptown with some friends, and we would learn songs together. We would listen to music and try to learn them, like as many as we could in a day, as many standards. So then my friend Chris, he put on the song, Blame It On My Youth, Carmen McRae singing it, who I love. She just sings it beautifully. But the story behind it and the way that she inflects every word. And so I went back, wrote out the lyrics, and looked at them and said, oh, my God, this is very personal to me and very relevant to my life. If I forgot to eat and sleep and pray, blame it on my youth. And it's talking about all of the decisions that we make in our youth that affect us in different ways and how do we recover from that, how do we move through it, or do we just blame it on that and, and leave it in the past. And so she, she says, don't blame it on my heart, uh, blame it on my youth. Because we can often do things and feel a certain type of way about them and wonder why have we done this or why has this happened to me when often it's just timing. So youth is about time, right, and age, not about really anything else. So, so yeah. Well, here you are. Uh, it's Judy Jackson with Blame It On My Youth. Don't you blame it on my heart Don't blame it on my heart Blame it on That was Judy Jackson with Blame It On My Youth, and we've got one more number coming up a little bit later in the programme. Probably we're going to see it out with that. Um, just before I open up the questions here uh, in this Jazz Shapers Live edition, I just want to ask Nicole one final question from me. I, I, the, the journey you've been on and where you are now and, and all these there's very different kinds of sculptures in front of me, what's the next few years going to hold for you? What do you want to do? Or is it an open thing? Is that how you operate? What's your next focus going to be, if you have one? I've been always working on the human form. So whether it's more abstracted, like the feast here, or, um, or figurative, and I want to, I, I will keep going. I mean, this is an endless uh, field that you can go back forever. So and, and you have also, you have a series, I believe, of... Um... The little heads that you see, which is Simone de Beauvoir, is uh, as part of a series of uh, 20th century writers and um, which hopefully will be shown next year at the um, uh, Charleston uh, Festival, the Literary Festival. So, um, so I'm doing these, but I'm also doing... The, I think you got a big uh, form downstairs. Um, I'm doing um, some um, fragments of uh, uh, large body parts of women and um, that I'm hoping to show as well, maybe uh, hopefully this year. 
And just as a, a quote from Vogue, I believe your interview for the recent Vogue, you wrote here about, about form, which is the um, a fold of the, the human form, the body. I wanted the viewer to look at exactly what I wanted them to. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty true of um, you in general, um, <laughs> which is, I think Nicole is very clear on... And, on and, uh, we can say those... those uh, the sculpture behind you is called Pure Force and it's my self-portrait. <laughs> <laughs> and on that brilliant note, questions from the audience, if you have any. Um, so it'd be really interesting to know if you were going into fashion again now, how would you feel it has possibly changed in the last, you know, sort of... 30 years. Fashion now? Yeah. yeah. To tell you the truth, I'm absolutely not interested in fashion. <laughs> Since I left it, I left it behind totally. I never open a magazine unless, like in Vogue, I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't go shopping. I wear my old clothes. I've got uh, wardrobes full of them. And um, I recycle them. And I'm not interested, you know. I'm in a studio all day wearing tracksuit, and uh, um, so I don't follow it. Another question? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say has been the biggest challenge of, of your entire life? What was the, the Pardon me? What was the biggest challenge or the, the most difficult thing you've had to, to challenge. face? challenge, yeah. I've been very blessed, you know. I didn't, uh, I didn't find difficult to start as a fashion designer. I haven't found it uh, that difficult to stop being a fashion designer and get in, into sculpture. I was lucky after one year to have a first uh, show of my sculpture. Two years later, another one. So I'm, I'm one of those lucky persons. I have a lot of friends. Um, a happy um, relationship, you know, a wonderful daughter, great... Step you know, I'm such a lucky person. So um, I think the challenge, the bigger challenge are out there in the world, you know, and I, I am a witness. Yeah. Hi, Nicole. I was really interested to hear about the influence your family had on, on you and your, your success. As a father... I want to inspire my daughter um, to be fearless. Is there a particular piece of advice you had from your parents or your family that has stuck with you through the years? I think, uh, I think the best thing my parents did for me was to love me. And that grounded me incredibly. And, you know, whatever I did, they trusted me to do it. And um, if you give that to your kids, that foundation in love, then, um, you know, they'll do and, and they'll do what they want to do. And my, my parents didn't have a clue about fashion. And, but when I said I want to be a fashion designer or I'm going to be a fashion designer, um, they say yes. My father never understood what I was doing. I would come back to Nice to see him uh, uh, on holiday and he'd say, well, are you going to stop? What are you exactly doing? Why don't you come back home? You know, he just uh, did not get it. And um, so let them be, your kids. Thank you. Final question. If we have one more, yes. There's a... 
in the corner at the back there. Hi, um, I was just wondering um, who was your influence as far as your sculpture? Which artist uh, influenced you a little bit? I think Eduardo was an influence, not by his work, but by the fact that uh, he worked every single day. He went to bed in the evening, leaving his work ready for the next morning. He never finished a piece, and he taught me that. Don't finish a piece at night, because you want to get up and go back to it in the morning. And um, I think that was an influence on the way I am today. Uh, otherwise, as an artist, I love the work of uh, Giacometti. He was the first sculptor that uh, I really um, loved, and perhaps he did influence my first sculptures. Bacon is somebody who is not a sculptor, but wanted to be a sculptor in his life, and his paintings do influence me. Um, you know, they, there are so many incredible artists around, or from the past or from today, that uh, you learn something from. Very good. I think we're going to run out of time. Nicole, um, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being so thank you, thank for you. candid. Um, I, I have learned a lot. Thank, thank you for being um, such a good sport. <laughs> uh, that's it for our first Jazz Shapers Live of 2018. I'd like to thank Judy and the band. Please put your hands together. And thank you also to all of you, our special live studio audience. We'll be back next week at 9am with a more reserved in-studio Jazz Shapers, but it won't be half as much fun. Um, right now, though, it's the final piece of music on this Jazz Shapers Live from Judy Jackson and the band. It is called This Is Over the Moon.
Charlie Chaston on bass. Jamie Safir on piano. Thank you. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Condorea. It's business, but it's personal. <laughs> 